0: Teresa and I have been married about 27 years, a little over that now, but as far as I can uh, remember, Teresa's parents have always been a part of our Christmas uh, when we lived in Cincinnati, when we lived in Wisconsin, we were here, they've always been a part of our Christmas. But a couple of years ago, they decided to move to Florida. And uh, last year, they weren't able to come up. And this was going to be one of our first Christmases without them. And so what we did is we piled the family into the minivan on Christmas Day, took off and drove to Florida. 20 hours. It was a long, long drive. I think I've got my, my route all figured out in case you all are wondering out how to get to Florida. It's it's just a long, it's a long drive. Now, we did not see Mickey, just so you know. We just saw Grandma and Grandpa in the nice sandy beaches. But it was a long drive at Christmas time. I don't know how many of y'all are traveling. But you know, that very first Christmas season, there was a, another thousand-mile trip. This is made by the wise men. Now, it's interesting. I think we got a map of the wise guy's journey. But just so you you get a picture, this is about 1,000 miles. We're not sure exactly where they started from. But it would have been down here, Babylonia, uh, perhaps. That's often called the east, wise men from the east. But probably further east, Cush, Susa, was the capital of Persia. And so they couldn't have just traveled across the desert. No one did that. That was death. So they traveled through what is referred to as the Fertile Crescent. And that would have been about a thousand miles to get down to to Bethlehem. And we we read about it in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. You know, these guys, these magi, in my mind, and I've been doing this kind of thing for a lot of years, the most intriguing people in the whole Bible in the whole Bible, because it 's like jesus 's birthday right this is his birthday party, and these guys we know didn 't get an invitation, they just kind of crash it, and we know nothing really about these guys. you know we, we say we three kings of Orient are there they probably weren't three they this tradition based on the three gifts, but there probably weren 't three they probably weren 't kings, and they probably weren't from the the orient we, we don 't know a whole lot. About them, tradition says that their names were Melchior and Belshazzar and Gasper, but we—that's just—that's uh, just a nice myth thing. There are some things we can guess about them and speculate. Though we speculate that they were—I mean, what it says—they were magi. That means wise men. Daniel was one of these down in, in when he was in Babylon. If that's so, they would have been trained in science and astronomy and astrology. They would have be been into the zodiac, reading the stars, right? They would have been trained in occultic practices and occultic philosophies. Zoroastrianism probably was, had a hold of these guys. So these were not your squeaky clean Sunday school teacher type people. These were powerful men. These guys would have been to Persia. What the Levites were to Israel, political, religious leader people. They're were, they were magi. They probably were Prithian senators. They were from uh, Persia. Uh, they, they came to, the scripture's going to tell us, to the house. So you know your, your manger scene? I know we've got the wise men in our manger scene at home on our, on our uh, mantle. But the, the wise men didn't come to the manger scene. It says they came to the house. And and it, it makes sense. Mary and Joseph, if Jesus is born in the stable, they're not going to keep him there. They're not going to try to raise him in the barn. They're going to probably find a home someplace. And it, probably the wise men came when Jesus would have been somewhere between one and two years old. Uh, so they came a little bit older. Now think about their journey for a minute. You know, when we went to Florida, we went in a Toyota minivan. Captain seats leather we went with with no they probably said on leather too but different kind we we, we had um, air conditioning in the heat we had video player we had captain's chairs we we had we went seventy miles per hour uh, with a fast pass on paved nice uh, interstate roads speckled all along the roads where hotels and grocery stores and gas stations and and police all over the place lots of police and so so it was a which kept speed down, but we we'll won't get into that. So it was, a, it was a nice trip. Made it in 1,000 miles in about 20 hours. These guys traveled 1,000 miles. But we don't know how they came. Did they come on camel, horse, donkey? Did they walk? Let's just say camels, because that's the nice thing. Uh, camel can run at about 25 miles per hour, but he can't do that for a 1,000 miles, right? So it's... According to how big the caravan is, um, and if the caravan's of a decent size, which it probably is because you don't carry those kind of special gifts, very expensive gifts by yourself, you bring, a, you bring bodyguards with you, uh, probably 25 miles a day, and it's, that means it's going to take about three months to get there and they're going to get rained on and they're going to experience uh, sickness and and wind blowing and it's just going to be a long, long trip. Three months there, three months back. And you ask yourself, now these guys, why did they come three months to get there? Three months, six months of their life. They've axed out. For what? Well, scripture says... 1 and 2, it says, we have come, we saw his star, and we've come to worship him. And then in, when they find out who he is, so they, 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 they can get there, it says that they came to the house where the child and Mary, his mother, were, and they fell down and worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So for the wise men, this is real important, because for the wise men, Christmas, that means lots of different things to us. But for the wise men, the word that Christmas was defined with is the word worship. They came six months journey to worship Jesus. And you say well, that's a long way to go for church. You know, couldn't they have worshiped back home? Well, what was? Sometimes we associate worship with singing. You know, let's let's all worship. Turn. We're going to worship. Right. Sometimes singing can be worship. Sometimes not. So, sometimes we'll say that that singing is going to church. Sometimes that's worship. Sometimes not. We'll we'll say that that worship is is uh, maybe giving our offering, and sometimes that can be. Worship sometimes not or serving that can be worship. Yeah, it can be But not always now when Jesus Baby Jesus grows up and he starts teaching on this issue of worship in uh, Matthew 15 he quotes his father in the book of Isaiah and says this This people God the Father is talking honors me with their lips But their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. That that word vain, that means zero. That means empty. That means useless. they, They come to church. And they put money in the plate and they sing the songs. But you need to know this, God would say, they are not worshiping me. They get zero worship spiritual credit points for this one because they're just not worshiping me. So Jesus would say worship has got your internal thing going on and your external thing. It would seem that it must start with the heart, right? Right. It's got to start with the heart. And I think that's important because we would say that worship often is external stuff. I'm worshiping, I'm worshiping. God says, no, 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 don't, don't go there yet. It's got to start with the heart. And we could go through the wise men and how they were so joyful and in there, their heart was there. But it's got to move. You can't just stay in the heart. Start from the heart. It's got to move to the mind. In John 4, Jesus, it's really cool. Jesus is talking to this woman who comes to him and, and she says, she puts basically the worship question on the table and says, you know, talk, let's talk about worship. And in John 4, 23 and 24, Jesus says, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit. It's kind of the, the heart. And truth. I think what he's saying with this is this. A lot of times we will worship a god of our own making you know we're like spiritual dr frankensteins and we like this part about god but we don't like this part what we think other people with the bible so we're not we're not going to include that but we want a god who does this and does that and so we build our own type of god and we worship this and god says that's not where you've got your own totem pole going on in your head that's not worshiping me Those who worship me must start with the heart, but it must be of truth. They must know really who I am, who they're worshiping in reality. And then it doesn't just, it takes one more step. Starts in the heart, moves to the mind, but ends on the knees. Because if you look at these guys, it's it's fascinating. It, It says that, oh... After listening to the king, they went on their way. These are the wise men. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them, and it came to rest over the place where the child was. It says that when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshiped. Him. It doesn't mean they tripped, you know, on Jesus toys or on the Joseph's tool belt and stuff. They 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 bowed down, and I, I they they got down for toddler Jesus, and they had to get lower than he was, so they got way down. Prince Charles has three initials after his name, H. don't know if you've ever noticed this. It stands for his royal highness and the, the picture is when someone's higher when someone's more significant they need to be above you they're, they're higher than you and so this is an act of worship to get down below them basically what you're saying is you are more important than me your agenda is more important than mine I am your servant you are higher than me and so these guys come to Jesus to worship him you know it's, it's fascinating when you consider their their journey oh, that, do we do we have that still that map out yeah i mean that if you look at the fertile crescent you know there's several things that was a 3 month trip you you wonder did sickness hit the caravan did they have some camels die? Were there kids fighting and stuff? You know, what, was it such... Where, you know, my kids start fighting in the car and you, you, we want to turn around and go home. I wonder if the wise men ever wanted to turn around and go home. Or if they started thinking, you know, what are we doing? They told us we were crazy before we left. And here we are. And what if we've read the stars wrong? And what if there really is no baby God? And we're doing all of this traveling. And I don't, I don't know if it's... I wonder if they ever felt like turning back. I wonder, and you look at the Fertile Crescent, they would have passed through some major metro areas. And I, I wonder... As they went through some of these areas, these are savvy businessmen types. If they would have seen some things that were just, wow, this could really fly back home. I wonder if they would have had a number of temptations that come, came their way as they journeyed to Christ. I wonder if things came up where they just got distracted from their quest and they decided to just settle down. You know, my my neighbors have a uh, nativity scene. It's kind of on their front yard. Nativity scene. I've always wanted. Never never had this. But it's those big plastic, like life size type guys, right? And they've got the Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and some animals and the baby Jesus, of course. And then they've got the wise men there. But one of the wise men, he's a real tall guy, and he's standing up. And now you got to know my neighborhood. I live like at the top of a hill. I've got a huge field behind me, and so the wind really whips. And you can lay in bed at night listening to that wind blow by, I mean, it's blowing hard. And when it does, I know what's going to happen. I, I, this, is, this happens all the time. I get out to get my car to come to work in the morning, and the tall wise man is in the bushes, or he's down on his face, or he's across the yard someplace, you know, and, and he's just always, he can't handle the wind. And sometimes my neighbors have to get frustrated with him, you can tell, so they kind of try to wedge him between different people so that he'll stay standing but sure enough i'll hear the wind blowing and guess what wise man's in the bushes sometimes bless their hearts they got to get frustrated because they just kind of put him up any way i came home the other day and he was turned facing the way he came he was backwards to jesus he was just facing the way he, he came kind of like looking longingly like maybe he was looking to where he came from or wanted to go back or that's where his focus was sometimes and Instead of focusing on the Jesus, he's staring this way, he's staring this way. It's interesting that the wise man that's constantly falling down is the wise man who's uh, standing, who's not bowing. Wise men, I, just, I wonder. Maybe we started off on a quest for Jesus a long time ago. You were a kid, Sunday school, and it was just so alive, real to you that day. Or maybe when you were in high school, someone asked you to come on that retreat, and you came, and you never heard this before. And so, yeah, you're you're surrendering to to Jesus. Or so maybe you were in college, and you had someone told you about who Christ really is, and you had no no idea. And wow, this is fantastic. Or whatever in your life, you started down a quest, but but you've got s- sidetracked along the way, distracted. Maybe people mocked you. Maybe you wondered if the cost was worth it. Maybe the bright lights kind of just distracted you and you were kneeling at one point but you're just not there anymore you're st- still standing and reality is when you are the winds of this world are going to blow hard and you're going to go down it's fascinating to me the one wise man that is always secure I can count on him he never moves when can a tornado win and he is fine and that's the wise man that is kneeling in front of Jesus and so I wonder in your journey, did you first start off seeking Him, and you got distracted along the way? And you hear tonight, it's a good night and Christmas and all, but you're really not bowing before Jesus. Not worship. You like Jesus; He's not a ba- but. Worshipping Him, He's my 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 treasure. My, my I understand who He is. I'm giving Him His worth. no, nah, it's that's not going on. Maybe you're in a a, a different place. You know, one of the reasons why I love the wise men is, again, because why are they here? There's no prophecy that says they should be here. And the wise men are really, really, really out of place because Christmas is really a huge Jewish story you got Mary and Joseph that are very Jewish from a very long, prestigious Jewish line. Baby Jesus, of course, is very Jewish. The shepherds are Jewish. He's born in a Jewish town, in a Jewish area. He's king of the, the Jews. He fulfills the prophecies in a Jewish holy book. I mean, it's a Jewish story. And yet you got these magi coming to town. These guys are as un-Jewish as you can be. I mean, we talk about pagan. They're into occult practices. They are, they are not people you're going to want babysitting your kids. And they're coming to town to worship Jesus. I think the reason why God has the Magi in here is, is to remind us that Jesus is not just king of the Jews. He's king of everybody. He's, he came... For everybody, it doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what you've done. You know, we think, "Oh, Jesus, he's he's the the king for churchy people and for people who've really tried to be really, really, really good." And those people, and that's he's he's the goody people. God, you got the magi there, and maybe you're thinking, even you know what, I'm 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 not that. Christian religious thing, that's just a whole different, I'm just not there, That's a, I'm not cut out of that cloth, and I've done some stuff, I've been through some things, you know, Holly Hayes writes in, in her book, From Basement to Sanctuary, she says that when she was 15, her Leave it to Beaver family crashed, her folks split, and that devastated her. And so she took a nosedive in a major way. In the next seven years, Holly had uh, acquired a significant uh, list of traumas in her life. She, she became addicted to alcohol and drugs, uh, so much so that she had to use daily. She dropped out of school. She ended up living on the streets and bouncing from friend to friend and doing what she needed to do to get their alcohol and drugs uh, she had uh, been raped three times. She had five ab- abortions. Uh, she, she had just pretty much given up on life, suicidal. She was in a bathroom, public bathroom, one afternoon, locked in the stall, taking inventory of her life, and she just watched her tears splash on that dirty floor in the public bathroom, and she said she prayed her very first prayer, God, help me. She said, I don't even know where that came from. Didn't believe in God. God help me. Well, that night she's at a party. And, and everybody's drinking, but one person's not. And she's kind of intrigued by this person, kind of jokes with him. You know, what's wrong with you? And he said, you know, I, I don't, and I used to do that, but I, I, don't, I don't need that for my life to, to work. And that struck her. And so she had this conversation with, with this person. And, and this person befriended her and took Holly the next day to AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, and if you're familiar with the 12-step program, Holly goes through this thing and she's determined she wants out of this life she's in. But there's some steps in the 12 steps that she struggles with. Recognizing your higher power and and, and and giving it over to God and all those things. And she's just not sure. She knows there's a God. She prayed in the bathroom that one time, and but she's not sure who he is. And she asks people and they kind of have all kinds of different ideas. And so she thinks there's just no way you can know him. And so she decides that she is her higher power. Well, she says this in her book. She says, by the middle of 2009, I was eight years sober and had everything I had always wanted. I had the right career, the right relationship, and a beautiful house with balconies boasting spectacular views of San Francisco. I was traveling all over the world. I had the right car, the right clothes, the right friends. Everything looked great. Then all of a sudden, without any warning at all, something just broke inside me. That moment began like a cloud and fell on me, and it simply would not let me go. Desperately and completely, I wanted to die. Now, how could I want to die? It made no sense. I had everything I had ever dreamed of, everything I had ever wanted. I'd gotten my life together. I had made something of myself. From the girl in the pit, I was the girl on the mountain. Only one problem remained. I was still me. Nothing inside me had truly changed. Somehow, I was still that same girl. The drunken, lying, stealing, broken, abused, homeless, angry, fearful, selfish, arrogant failed prostitute I was still that same girl on the inside all the same shame humiliation and pain all that was still there and I was covered with a lacquer that was supposed to make me look shiny and new and so she had taken trips to the Golden Gate Bridge planning her, her suicide when she met up with a, with a friend that she knew from kindergarten. And this friend uh, claimed to be a Christian and she kind of forgave her of that because the friend always loved her. I mean, Holly thought that Christians were just way out. To, they were they were useless, weak people. She didn't want anything to do with that. She'd come across some legalistic, hypocritical sorts and she just didn't want anything to do with that. But but her friend was a Christian and cared for and it just so happens her friend is going through deep waters too the wind is blowing but her friend is making it well they have conversations comes to Holly comes to realize that her friend's anchor is is Jesus And so she begins to study and think it through. And she realizes that the Jesus in the manger came for her. And he he wasn't staying in the manger. He grew up. He became a man. and, And he ended up being arrested and murdered by the power brokers of the day. And his disciples initially couldn't figure it out because he supposedly came for them. But here he was dying. Now, when he rose from the dead, all the pieces fell in place. And they did for. Holly, she realized that this Jesus who died, he came to die, and when he did, he died for all of the garbage that she had ever, all of her baggage, all of the, the sin, and she had plenty of it. And, and Holly bowed at the manger before Jesus and worshipped. She says, not about me. I'm not my higher power. You're my higher power. My life is to be lived for you. I wonder this evening. For us, you and know, I, I'm going to give you three categories, and I want you to place yourself, you don't have to do this out loud, do it in your heart. Place yourself in one of these categories. Because maybe tonight you're in the dedicated disciple category, right? You're not perfect, you know you're not perfect, but you came, you've come to a place where you know that Jesus in the manger really is that the Son of God. And, and, and you, you've bowed down to him. you recognize that it's about him, not about you. And, and you're living for his will. Uh, you're a dedicated disciple. Maybe you're a distracted disciple this, this afternoon. Where, yeah, you started off on this journey a while back, but I got side railed. The wind blew and you fell over and you're, you're, you're down. Maybe you're like Holly on the front end there, where it was really just kind of a, a, a seeker, just going through life looking, not really finding anything. The the, the cool thing about Jesus, because I, I mean, I've heard people say, you know, I'll bow down to nobody. The Bible tells us at the end of the age, every knee will bow. I mean, everybody's going to bow. Problem is, if we wait for then, then we bow before him as our judge. We can come as the magi have, and and bow before him even this this evening. And so I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to we're going to pray. I'm going to pray three really quick prayers. And the first prayer I'm going to pray is if you are a dedicated disciple, then this prayer is for you. I want you to just come kind of repeat this in your heart. Sincere Then I'm going to pray another prayer Quick prayer If you are a a distracted disciple And you're thinking Yeah, I need to get my life back at the manger I need to get back on my knees before him Then this prayer is for you You pray this internally between you and God The third prayer I'm going to pray is If you're a a seeker of sorts Basically anyone in any other category And if tonight You think, you know what? I have nothing really against Jesus, but I have never surrendered my life. I've never bowed down to him. I've never recognized his value and worth as supreme over. I think I'd like to do that. Then as I pray that prayer, I want you to pray that in your heart as well. So when you bow with me, just between you and God, if you're a dedicated disciple, not perfect, not perfect, oh my goodness, you know that better than anybody but I would ask you to pray this and just pray it quietly in your heart. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for coming for me and dying for me and forgiving me. I love you and I worship you. If you're a distracted disciple and you want to get back to where you know you should be, Then you could pray this Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for coming for me and dying for me. I've been away. Would you forgive me? I want to worship you. Would you help me do so? If you're a seeker, you can pray this Dear Lord Jesus, Thank you for coming for me and for dying for me. Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you make me your child and help me live a life of worship to you? Thank you for that which you've done for us, Lord. Amen.